Well, praise God. We're going to go ahead and continue on, as, as Pastor Joseph said in the Gospel of John. Can you believe it? We are getting close. I think we just have maybe about a month or so left, which I think we've been, we've been making our way through for, what, six, six months or so already? So um, as you guys know, I love going verse by verse because you don't get to skip the hard stuff. You don't just get to pick out the easy stuff. And, uh, and how you guys been enjoying it? You guys learned something so far? Hallelujah. Well, last week we ended off with uh, the mock trial of Jesus in front of the Jewish religious leaders. And, and we talked about it. We don't see a whole lot of that in the Gospel of John. You get more detail in the other Gospels. But uh, as we ended up, we, we left with, with Jesus being led bound from um, Caiaphas' uh, uh, house and being led to uh, the governor's headquarters. And that's uh, Pontius Pilate. Um, and after that was said and done, we find out that the Jews, they couldn't go in because uh, if they went in, they would be unclean. Apparently, it was, it was okay to murder somebody, just not okay to go into a Gentile house. We can see how those two um, compare and, and measure up. Um, so when that happened, they couldn't go inside. So Jesus went ahead and took Pilate inside, and he began to question him. And, and lo and behold, he found no guilt in Jesus. Do you guys want to know why he didn't find any guilt in Jesus? Because there was no guilt in Jesus. That was, that, that's, a, that's an easy one, right? And um, he understood this. He realized there was no guilt in Jesus. So, um, but, so he tries to find ways out of having to pronounce judgment on Jesus, right? The first thing is like, man, Jesus is from Bethlehem. Herod's over Bethlehem. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. Herod just, just uh, interviews him for a second, mocks him, and sends him right back. So now he's back in Pilate's hand. And he's like, okay, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get the Jews to release him. So he says, hey, 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 you guys, I know uh, at this time we, we have a tradition of releasing one criminal. Do you guys want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And he said, for sure they would pick Jesus to go free because Barabbas was a murderer. Matter of fact, it's interesting because Barabbas was actually a revolutionary. He was opposing <laughs> Caesar and Rome. There's no way that Pilate should have let him free. But instead, he goes free instead of Jesus. And this week, you're going to see that, that it's actually kind of interesting because Pilate keeps trying to find ways to not kill Jesus over and over and over. He, doesn't, he really doesn't want to do it. And we're going to see that today, but as if you know the whole story, which uh, everyone should at this point, um, at least in the U.S., we've all heard of Jesus. We know the story. Jesus doesn't get set free. So to no avail does he try to not kill Jesus. Because here's the thing, Pilate wouldn't stick to his convictions. He knew that Jesus wasn't guilty, but he was afraid of, I don't know, the crowd or, or whatever it was. He, he, he wouldn't stand up for his convictions, and instead he gives in and is persuaded by the crowd. So instead he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. And that's actually where we're in today is Jesus on the cross. So let's go ahead and get started. In John 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And then they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. <laughs> so after the religious leaders had convinced the crowd to release Barabbas instead of uh, Jesus, Pilate decides to have Jesus flogged. 
And if you know anything about this method of punishment, it's, it's actually a pretty horrific thing. You see, they, they strap a person up and they begin to whip him violently. And, and we don't really ever see anything like that today. And if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, you might have seen a, a, a representation of that. But, but even as, as horrific and gory as that was, that was actually a, the PG-13 version of what happens when you're flogged. You see, the whip had iron balls tied just a few inches from the end of the, the leather thongs on the end. And those, those, those uh, steel balls, or they would, the, the iron balls, they would bruise the skin as the leather thongs came in and sliced the skin up. And then oftentimes they would take, at the end of those thongs, they would, they would type um, uh, sharp like uh, sheep bone on the end of that. So then not only would you have the leather coming down to cut, but you would have these sharp pieces of bone going into his skin. And just after a few lashes, we would, the skin would be dealt with and then it would begin to cut into the muscle. It was a, it was a horrific and painful punishment. And the blood loss was incredible. Actually, it didn't take that long for the victims to go into a state of shock because of the loss of, of blood. And then the soldiers, after this happened, they, they, they mocked him and they put a, a, a crown of thorns with very long thorns and they jammed it on his head and they put him in purple to mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. All the while they were beating him with, their, with his hands. So Jesus was whipped, he was mocked, he was beat. And in Matthew and Mark, we get a little more detail. We see the soldiers even spit on Jesus. And the thing is, is we're shocked by this happening, but the truth is, is that it was all prophesied. In Isaiah 56, it says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, and I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 52, 14 through 53, 6 says, As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. It just talks about Jesus being beat to such an extent, tortured to such an extent, he couldn't even be recognized. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not yet heard they understand. Who has believed that he has heard from us? In whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What happened to Jesus was horrific and terrible, but it was prophesied. It was to fulfill Scripture. And he suffered all of this so that you and I wouldn't have to. 
And this was all part of the shame and humiliation that we should have suffered. It was on our behalf. He took this on for the penalty of our sin. You know, that's something you should keep in mind when, when uh, you start to brush off. You know, that's just a little sin. That's not a big deal. I mean, I mean it's not something huge like murder. It's, it's not a, when we brush that off, we, we all underestimate the devastating and evil nature of sin, the, the penalty that must be paid for this. And those little sins, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal. This is what was paid for that not big of a deal. We should keep that in mind. Sin is much worse than we ever give it credit for, and that's why Jesus had to go through what he went through. And he did it for us, considering us his joy. And Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You were the joy that was set before him that he was willing to endure all this. So I would encourage you, don't treat sin as flippant. Even the smallest sin has incredible consequences that Jesus paid the price for, amen? And he goes on in verses 4 through 5, it says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You know, I told you we're going to see Pilate keep trying to get out of having to kill Jesus. We see in Luke that this flogging was, was in Pilate's mind actually a compromise. He was hoping that this would be enough. It was an alternative to having to kill Jesus. In Luke 23, 13, 16, it says, Pilate then called the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. You see, Pilate keeps trying to find ways to not have to condemn Jesus to death. And he says, you know what, I'm just going to have him flogged. Hopefully that'll be enough. And that's what's happening here. Pilate is bringing Jesus out bloodied and battered and, and, and probably very close to being disemboweled, if not disemboweled, because the whip would have just ripped everything open. And he's, he, he probably can barely walk. He's probably already in a, in a, st a state of shock or he's getting there. And uh, he's in this bloodied robe. He's got this crown of thorns. On. So, so Pilate brings him out and says, look, here's this man that you guys have something again. His declaration of behold the man was to imply to the Jews that surely this battered and bruised man isn't a king. How could you even believe his claims to kingdom if he looks like this? He hoped that this would be enough to appease the Jews. He hoped that they would see Jesus in this state and they would no longer want to see him put to death. His hope in some sort of weird way was that this was the humane way or a humane alternative to being crucified for Jesus. At least in this scenario, as horrible as it was, Jesus would get to live. And Pilate hoped that the flogging, which was already close to killing Jesus, 
was enough that once again he wouldn't have to condemn Jesus to death. But then in verses 6 through 7, it says, When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And then the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of of God. The thing was is that when the Jews saw Jesus, they weren't satisfied. They wanted more. Him being in that position wasn't enough, so they continued to express their hatred for Jesus, yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. The reality is, is that crucifixion was an extremely terrible and shameful way to die. It was reserved only for the worst of criminals, for slaves, or for revolutionaries. Anybody that was you know, uh, committing treason against Rome, those were the three people that this type of punishment was reserved for. And that's what the, the Jews wanted. They didn't just want his death. They want Jesus to be humiliated. They wanted him to be shamed. They wanted all the worst for Jesus. Such was their hatred of him. But Pilate knew that Jesus wasn't a criminal. Pilate knew that. He he questioned him. He said, listen, I've questioned him. Herod has questioned him. All these charges that you brought against him, we don't find any guilt in him. So Pilate knew that he wasn't a criminal, that he wasn't guilty. And Jesus certainly wasn't a slave, so he didn't fit that bill either. And Jesus was also questioned by Pilate to determine if he was a revolutionary. Was he trying to overthrow the Roman government? And to that charge too, Pilate found no guilt in him. So Pilate says, you know what? Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. He refused to be the one that executed Jesus because he knew he wasn't guilty. But then the real reason the Jews wanted Jesus dead comes out. Remember, first they said, oh no, he's claiming to be king. But now the real reason comes out. He says, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself be the son of God. See, Pilate says, listen, he's not guilty of any law deserving death. But the Jews say, no, no, he is, he is. We have a law that says that if you blaspheme God, then you are guilty of death. This is in Leviticus 24, 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. So that was their law that if you blaspheme God, you are worthy of being put to death. And say, no, no, Jesus did that because he claimed to be the Son of God. That means he's blaspheming. Like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem very blasphemous to say the Son of God. I mean, we say that all of us are sons of, and daughters of God. And, but you have to understand from their perspective, they, they didn't say that like we say that today. To, to be the Son of God was something different. And the way Jesus was claiming it, he didn't even say it like we would say it today, like, oh, we're all children of God. No, he was saying it like, I'm the literal Son of God. I'm the same as him. I am his offspring. And, and the Jews understood that when Jesus said this, he was making himself equal with God. You guys want to know how I know that? 
because it says that all over the New Testament. It says he was making himself equal with God. That was their problem. The problem that the Jews had is that Jesus was claiming to be equal with God, claiming to be God. So they said he was blaspheming and worthy of being put to death. So they said, no, no, Pilate, he has broke the law. He has done something worthy of death. But the irony of the entire situation is that Jesus didn't blaspheme. He was telling the truth. They just didn't want to believe it. So when Pilate heard this statement, as we read verses 8 through 11, it says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. That's probably, he was already afraid. He didn't want to put Jesus to death. But now he hears this, he's even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. See, after hearing what the Jews just said, that Jesus was claiming to be God, now all of a sudden he gets even more afraid. And this, this additional fear could be for a couple of reasons. One, the, the Roman, in, in their view of religion, they had no problem believing that a man could be God, that a man could have deity. So it could be very well that he was, he was just afraid that what Jesus said was true and that he was getting ready to condemn a God. He didn't want to be put in that position. Second, we see in, in both the gospel of, of uh, or we see in the gospel of Matthew in verse 27, 19, it says, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So he, this is him sitting on the judgment seat. He hears what the Jews just said, and we know from Matthew that uh, his wife just said, Listen, you need to back up from this one. You don't want to be a part of this. So he's, you know, once he heard this from the Jews, I mean, husbands, I don't know about you, but I think he had a moment of like, you know what? I think my wife's right. You guys ever had a situation like that with your wife? I usually just assume she's right. It's, it usually works out better for me. He should have did so in the first place. He should have listened to his wife and walked away. But uh, yeah, so maybe that was it. Maybe he was, he was worried about, you know, his wife just said that. The Jews just said what they said. Or third, it could have been that, they, that he just now realized the volatility of the situation. Like, man, if this is what the Jews think of this guy, then I am sitting on a powder keg. Because if, if they don't get what they want, the Jews could revolt. Right now we know that the city is full of Jews that have traveled in from every corner of the earth to, to be there at the temple for Passover. So there, this could just have been a, a, a political and civil nightmare for Pilate. If you were to let this go on. So when, when he hears what they believe about him, it, it could have been any of those or a, a combination of those that has now made Pilate even more afraid. So he goes back in and he talks to Jesus. He says, listen, you need to tell me clearly who you are. Where do you come from? Probably didn't want to find himself at odds with the God. I agree, he shouldn't have found himself at odds with God. But Jesus doesn't respond to his questions, and this frustrates Caesar, or this frustrates Pilate, and he says, "Listen, don't you know that I have the authority to free you, or I have the authority to crucify you? Why won't you talk to me?" 
It's interesting to me that Pilate says, I have all this power. Because he could have freed Jesus from the very beginning. He already doesn't believe he's guilty. He said that over and over. And he's always had the... He didn't just all of a sudden, now that the Jews said this, have the power to crucify him or set him free. He's always had this power. Why didn't he just set him free in the first place? But now Jesus answers. He says, don't be confused, Pilate. All this power that you think that you have, you only have it because I allow you to have it. You only have it because it's been given to you from above. So don't think that you have all this power. I could get up and walk away from here anytime that I wanted to. You see, the reality is, is that God knew how this whole situation was going to play out. He knew how the people would respond, and it was all part of his plan. What Jesus went through was horrible, but it was necessary because that was what the penalty for sin is. And instead of us enduring that penalty, Jesus endured it for us. So God knew how this was going to play out. And the truth is, is that Pilate was being used to accomplish the will of God. And that's why Jesus said, and for the, the greater sin is that of the Jews who delivered you over to me. Now this is not to say that, that I think this is where some people get confused when they see that, that this is the will of God or that God is using Pilate. Oh, you know, Pilate didn't have a choice. It's not to say that Pilate didn't have a choice in the situation. There's a difference between God knowing what's going to happen and using that to accomplish his goals than God up there as a holy marionette making people do whatever he's going to do. Pilate had the choice. Pilate said it himself. I have the power to free you or I have the power to crucify you. Judas had a choice. The Jews had a choice. They all had a choice. They just chose wrong. That's why Jesus says, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He doesn't say that, Pilate, you're absolved of sin. It's not your fault. He says, no, your sin is just less. But it is sin nonetheless, what you are doing. But God knew what they would ultimately choose. God knew what was going to happen. And he used it to accomplish his plan and thwart the devil. Amen. <clears throat> so after Pilate heard this, in verse 12 it says, From then on Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. So now Pilate hears this from Jesus. He has this eye-opening moment that like, man, maybe this guy is God. And he's saying that he has, the only reason I have authority is because it's been given from heaven. And uh, so now he's even more determined to release Jesus. He understands that the stakes are higher having at least a little bit of better understanding of who Jesus is. And he just wants to let him go. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't want to be a part of this at all. So now the Jews try a little bit different tactic, one that Pilate can't ignore. They're basically accusing Pilate of treason if he lets Jesus go. 
you have to understand what's happening here. The Jews hated Jesus so much that they are now aligning themselves with Caesar. They're aligning themselves with Rome. And they hate the Romans. Matter of fact, these are the very captors that they hoped the Messiah would show up and free them from. You see the irony in that? They're aligning themselves to murder the Messiah with the very people they hoped the Messiah would show up and save them from. So they say, no, listen, Pilate, if you do this, you're, you're no friend of Caesar's. And to release a man who claimed to be king was a serious thing as far as the, the Roman government was concerned. If the Jews reported this up the, up the ladder, it could re result in Pilate losing his job or even worse, Pilate losing his life. And ultimately, their strategy works. And we find that Pilate takes his seat at the judgment seat in order to judge Jesus. <clears throat> in verse 14 through 16, it says, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus. John is the only one who records this incident here where Pilate says, Behold your king. He saw it as significant that Jesus would die labeled as the king of the Jews. And, and it was true. Jesus was the king of the Jews, even if they didn't believe it. And even if Pilate was really just mocking the Jews by saying this, Pilate understood that Jesus wasn't claiming to be king. He wasn't a revolutionary. It was just who the Jew says he was being. So he says, behold, your king. The reality was that he was their Messiah and he was their king. And then we have these really interesting statements going back and forth. First, uh, Pilate asked if he, if he should crucify their king. If Jesus really was a king, that was Pilate's duty. That was his responsibility. This isn't something that he would ask them, but like I said, he really didn't believe that Jesus was claiming to be king. So now he's just really throwing, throwing uh, 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 sticks at the, at the Jews. He's just mocking them. It was likely just to rile the Jews up at this point. He's irritated that they're putting him through this. He's irritated that they're making him have to crucify this man. He doesn't want anything to be do with it. So he starts mocking them. He's just trying to rile them up. Behold your king. Because he knew full well that they didn't believe he was their king. And he knew full well that that would irritate them. And it angered them so much, they say, we have no king but Caesar. The Jews hated Caesar. They hated Rome. They wanted no part of them. But they're so irritated with the situation. They're so mad at Jesus. They're so angered probably by what he's saying is that, that they're claiming allegiance with Rome, all the while denying their own Messiah. And then finally, he delivers him over to be crucified. And then in John 17 through 18, it says, And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is Aramaic, it's called Golgotha, where they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. 
So they forced Jesus to carry his own cross. Now remember, he had just gotten flogged. He's not in a good position. He could probably barely already walk. And they strap the beam of the cross across his shoulders. And this beam likely weighed somewhere between 75 to 125 pounds. And his arms are strapped to it, right? So if he tripped and fall, what's your first reaction to do when you fall? Put your arms out in front of you, right? What happens if they're tied up? So when he would fall, he was probably just busting his face on the ground every time he tripped and fell. And he carried it for as long as he could so he could no longer bear the weight. And they forced Simon of Cyrene to carry it for him. You can read about that in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And then Jesus was ultimately crucified on Golgotha. It was a hill with a stony, barren top that likely looked similar to the top of a skull, which is why they... They called it Golgotha because Golgotha is the Hebrew word for skull. You may have also heard it said that, that Jesus died on Calvary. You guys ever heard that? You'll notice you never see that word in, in uh, the scriptures. But it's because it's a Latin word. It's, at least it's derived from a Latin word. The, the Latin word is Calvaria, which anybody want to guess what that Latin word means? Skull. Really, it's just a translation of, of the hill that he died on. So that's why you hear Jesus died on Calvary. It was just the, 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 the hill called Skull. And then it says he was hung between two criminals, which was also to fulfill prophecy. Just prophecy is being fulfilled over and over and over. One of the greatest evidences that Jesus is who he said he was because prophecy that was written thousands of years before keeps getting fulfilled by him. Isaiah 53.12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's exactly what happens. Then in verse 19 through 22, it says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription for their place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So when they put Jesus on the cross, Pilate had a sign made with the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he wrote this in multiple languages. We see Latin, Aramaic, and Greek. And uh, it's because of this sign where Jesus was hung was a, was a public place. And this sign would have been able to be read by anyone. So everyone who came by and read this knew who Jesus was, the King of the Jews. And this, as you can see, caused some issues with the Jewish leaders. They didn't want him to say that because they didn't really believe <laughs> He was their king, which is funny. This is, he, he, they just went on and, and said, crucify him. He's, he's saying he's the king. You know, you can't let this happen. And then they go, but well, he's just saying that. When really he wasn't, they were saying that. The, the hypocrisy and the inconsistency with their story just keeps coming in and out of focus this whole time. As we mentioned earlier, Pilate didn't really want to do this. He didn't really want to crucify Jesus. And the truth is, he could have stopped it at any time. 
That's why he's, he's guilty of sun sin himself, because he could have stopped it. He could have let Jesus go, because he believed that Jesus was innocent. But he went along with it, and he, he did not uphold his convictions. So he gets a little passive-aggressive with the Jews. <laughs> and says, this is the king of the Jews. And when they complain, he says, listen, what I have written, I have written. Likely, this was just a way to stick it to the Jews. He was just, he was being passive aggressive. He was irritated by what was going on. But he didn't realize that the words that he wrote were actually true. Jesus was their king. And not just the king of the Jews, but he was Pilate's king as well. And throughout this entire event, where the enemy thought he was winning, where the Jews thought they were getting rid of a, a thorn in their side, where Pilate is feeling like he's being forced to do something he doesn't want to do, this is the moment as Jesus actually is passing into his kingdom, dealing a devastating blow to Satan and his plans to thwart him. And in verses 23 through 24, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. And this was to fulfill Scripture, which said, They divided my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. So one of the things you should notice is that even though every depiction, every artistic depiction that you've ever seen that shows Jesus on the cross shows some sort of garment wrapped around his waist covering him up. But the reality is, is that when he was crucified, all of his garments, all of his clothing would have been removed. He was hanging on the cross naked. That was actually part of the shame and humiliation of crucifixion. And the Roman soldiers who crucified him, they, they, they divided up his clothing between them. And the reality is, is that for the soldiers that were doing this job, this was kind of one of the fringe benefits. This was one of the bonuses. This was part of their payment package, if you will, because clothing back then wasn't as easy to come by as it is now. There wasn't a Walmart where they could just go and pick up something cheap. So, so clothing was much more valuable back then and, and, and much harder to come by. So this was kind of, like I said, part of their, their bonus package that when they crucified people, they got to keep their clothes and they divided it up between them. But then they come to Jesus' robe or his tunic and it's all one piece. There is no seam. There's no way they could divide it evenly without ruining it. So they cast lots to see which soldier would get it. And then once again, we find ourselves in the midst of prophecy being fulfilled. Psalm 22.18 is, is the scripture that is talking about there. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. To see scripture fulfilled over and over is always amazing to me. It's one of the, another one of the great evidences that Jesus is who he says he is. And, and some people say, well, well, he knew about these prophecies. He, he could have you know, somehow orchestrated that he would be the one that fulfilled it. Like, like he went to Pilate beforehand and says, hey, you know, I know you're going to crucify me. I need one guy. I need two guys on either side of me. I need to be numbered among the transgressors. Or, or like, yeah, and, and, and after I die, if you could just make sure they don't, they don't cut up my tunic, I would appreciate that. I'm trying to fulfill some prophecy here. But Jesus didn't have control of a lot of these things, at least not from a, a, the, the sense that he was a man. But God knew what would happen. He saw these things 
ahead of time. That's the thing about prophecy is that God knew these things were going to happen, so he had them written down so there would be evidence for us when Jesus fulfilled them. And then we'll finish here today in verses 25 through 27. It says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I don't know, have you guys ever read this and you're like, oh, this is a sweet story. Jesus saw his mom and made sure he was take, you know, she was taken care of. In your mind's eye, what do you picture Jesus looking right now? Jesus is on the cross. He's already lost massive amounts of blood. He's battered and bruised and cut, muscles torn. In the midst of... It's not like he was just walking casually and saw his mom and said, hey, yo, John, make sure she's taken care of. No, like he's suffering through all this pain, all of this agony, and he, he sees his mom sitting there watching him in sorrow and pain herself because of what her son's going through, and he's able to muster through everything that he's going through to make sure that his mom is taken care of. You see, this is an example of just the, or a demonstration of just the incredible love that Jesus has. One for his mom as he endures that, but the fact that he's going through this at all demonstrates his incredible love for each and every one of us. And not just those of us who would believe, but for even the people that don't believe. Because he died for them too. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not he died for the ones that would, that would get saved, but he died for all of us while we were yet sinners. Because God so loved the whole world, he sent his son to die for us. So, so Jesus was doing this for people that he even knew wouldn't say yes, wouldn't accept what he was doing. That's how thoroughly Jesus loved you and I. He was willing to endure the torture, the shame, the punishment, the pain, the humiliation, all of those things because he loved you. You see, here's the point where the devil thought that he was winning. But Jesus was just getting started, amen. Amen.